0: Thanks for listening to Last Call Confessions. This podcast is intended for adult audiences and there may be language or references that some listeners may find disturbing. Guest views are their own and not necessarily reflective of the Last Call Confessions team. Discretion is advised. Welcome to this episode of Last Call Confessions. I'm one of your hosts, Austin Rieger, and today I'm here with Lauren Serenko and Dave Erner. On this episode, we are joined by football player turned Olympic bobsledder, Jesse Lumsden. Jesse started out his football career at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, and continued on to the CFL with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Edmonton Eskimos, and Calgary Stampeders, as well as the NFL with the Seattle Seahawks and Washington Redskins. Jesse continued on to bobsleigh and won the two-man Canadian National Championships in 2009 and a World Cup gold medal in 2012. He went on to represent Canada in both the 2010 Vancouver, 2014 Sochi, and 2018 PyeongChang Winter Olympics. We're excited to sit down with him today and hear a few of the amazing stories from over the years. Welcome Jesse, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, that's a lot of stuff you've done, but let's start off here and chat about your football days. What was it like jumping from university football and then to the CFL? And then also to the NFL.
2: Yeah, it it was, uh, an eye opener for sure playing in Hamilton. And I grew up just outside of Hamilton. So we definitely had a lot of fun and and won some football games. And then going from, you know, college football in Canada to the Seattle Seahawks was a bit of a game changer. Just everything was a hundred times bigger, uh, except the field, the field was actually smaller, uh, which made a big difference, uh, in regards to the game itself. But, uh, Great experiences. Ended up back in Hamilton after a couple shots down in the NFL and, and playing with the Thai Cats for four years and uh, didn't win a lot of games, but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun during that time.
1: Like what kind of fun?
2: <laughs> like The kind of fun that you'd expect uh, that Nick Lewis would have. <laughs>
1: Oh, like similar, like drinking party stories. like Oh yeah.
2: Like it's, you know, the, the one, one of the really neat things, well, this was, it's changed a little bit since then, but in the, in the CFL, we would, anytime we would come West and it was the same with Nick when he would come East, when he was playing in the West, you stay the night after a game. Now they charter flights back to home stadium, essentially right after the game is done. So Calgary was, when I was in Hamilton, Calgary and old Cowboys was our, our favorite stop um so it was definitely cool to that was my kind of first experience with that whole world and then getting invited out to henry burris's all-star weekend uh which took us throughout the entire city for an entire weekend and all sorts of adventures it was it was it was it was good times that's for sure
3: now jesse you've uh, never played in a championship great cup game but have been to a bunch of the great cups how does it work when you're not playing
2: yeah and obviously it would have been a lot more fun to be able to play in the grey cup but uh the one really really cool thing about the cfl is that they bring the whole country together into the host city uh for an entire week of festivities and the cfl pa brings in a bunch of players that aren't playing in it to host events to host parties uh to do promo events and uh you know it that's the, you know it's so unique to be able to do that and to be able to interact and party and have a ton of fun with you know these lifelong CFL fans from all over the country. Uh and every and every team has their own um party or establishment or you know if it's if it's in a big convention center, they have their own room where they're gonna be throwing there's Tiger Town and there's the spirit of Edmonton and I can't remember what the one for Saskatchewan's called. I probably didn't go into it ever just because it's Saskatchewan and I wouldn't been a welcome but um you know, the always live music beers are always flowing. Um, and it's re- really sun up to sundown for an entire week. So, uh, you meet a lot of great people, you have a ton of fun, you rub shoulders with some really fascinating characters. You know, you meet people who have been going to the great cup for you know 40 plus years wearing Pilsner boxes on their head. It's yeah, it's awesome.
3: What's it, uh, what's it like being off the field and being able to party with the fans? Now it, it's, it's got to be a totally different aspect and element for uh, for a guy like yourself.
2: I think that's one of the, the, the cool things about the CFL is that they've made it a very inclusive league is that you get to know the, the fans and, and you spend a lot of time with them and, and learning about them and then having some fun with them when, when you get the chance to celebrate. So uh, you know, that's part of the fun is meeting the people. It's We, you know, the CFL is definitely a working league. Um, You know, everybody is working to get their season tickets and they understand that, you know, we're not the NFL. We're not getting paid millions of bucks and we're very accessible. Uh, And the fact that we do get to have some beers together um, is is a pretty cool experience. Hamilton, not aside from the Great Cup, Hamilton had a very unique tradition of we would always train to Montreal. We'd hop on a VIA train. And on the way back, there would be a couple or on the way there too, there'd be a couple cars of uh, fans. And then on the way back, all the players would come in and socialize with the fans on the way back on that train ride back. So, you know, it's uh, I wasn't around for, for many of those trips, those kind of got cut off probably for some pretty good reasons. Uh, but those, those train ride parties I heard were, were, were a lot of fun.
3: Now. <laughs> yep. Based on the, being at the Grey Cup games, or or actually, have you even attended a Grey Cup game? I, I know the teams get to go, and you're a part of it, but have you actually been to a Grey Cup game?
2: No. Well, yes, as a fan, but not when I was playing. I never went to the game. I just, I, uh, I, I only wanted to be at the game if I was going to be playing in the game, and then I just enjoyed all the extracurricular activities. I allowed myself the the pleasure to to do that stuff, but. Uh, yeah, while I was playing football, if it, if I wasn't playing in the game, I wasn't going to be there.
3: Now, when you were down there, was it all work or or, or all play? It, it, from what I know and from from what I remember, you've done a little bit of PR work.
2: Yeah, it it was a bit of it's it was a fine line of both, and probably pushed it a little too hard on the play side when I had to be working, but uh, I never got kicked off the job, so I I guess that's pretty good. I was able to manage it pretty well, but. It's, it's it's always it's pretty easy to get a beer in your hand during during great cup week
3: what what were the kind of things that you would do under under the influence or are we allowed to tell and talk
2: yeah it's not like i was going to read like kids books at, at classrooms or anything like that it was more just fan engagement poker poker tournaments barbecue uh barbecue contests with different chefs and different fans and stuff like that so it was all really really social social environments that uh uh, where, I, where I could be, you know, uh, enjoying the atmosphere a little bit more.
0: Now, you mentioned in the uh, CFL travel schedule, coming from the east to the west, you guys would stay for an extra day. Um, was that all kind of western cities, like when you hit Saskatchewan and Calgary and Edmonton and Vancouver? Or was it, uh, like, were there other places as well?
2: Winnipeg West. So if, if we had to fly, we were flying back the next day and we always flew on WestJet, So I always felt bad for the people who were on the flights with us, because it's, if you're buying like a, you know, sort of a, an economy ticket and you got stuck between a couple left guards in the middle seat, I mean, pardon the language, but you're fucked for three hours. So it's, uh, um, but yeah, Winnipeg all the way to, to BC for sure. It's in, BC was always a little bit tougher because it was always a late night game. So for us, we are playing later than our time zone um, but then again, we'd stay overnight in BC. We usually ended up at the Roxy listening to some live music and, and having a good
0: time. Was there ever a circumstance where you guys would be in town for longer than a day where you're staying for, you know, a full weekend or a couple days? So there
2: was a couple, there was a couple road trips where we would do back to back West games. Uh, and so you'd play Saskatchewan and then you'd be going to play BC or something like that and you end up going and staying uh, a week or a few extra days in in BC, staying a couple extra days in your current location, then you go out early and you acclimatize. And there's definitely a little more room on the leash um, as you know, when we had that stretch and some of the guys, you know, would go out and enjoy some of this, the social life pretty hard early on. So they had enough time to recuperate. (laughs) uh, for the game. Um, and then also depending on if there was any events that, 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 uh, the team had lined up for us, whether it was, you know, engaging with, uh, you know, any sort of the, the community, like the charitable communities in, in, in the organization. But, um, most of the time it was just getting ready, going exploring the, the, you know, some of the guys that were going to explore the nightlife. I definitely, you know, partook in a couple of those, uh, as you know, the, like I mentioned the Cowboys and the, and the Roxy were a couple of the favorite spots for us. So um, not too much trouble though, like nothing, not naming names. I mean, certain people definitely had a, had a more of a difficult time finding their hotel rooms or you know, losing keys or locking themselves out of hotel rooms with you know, accidentally nothing on their body and finding a way to go get an extra key down in the lobby, uh, more or less naked and getting back up to the room at four o'clock in the morning. But you know, no, the stuff happens. It's just how it goes. Stuff does
0: happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so how did the transition from football to bobsleigh happen and like, why, like, what made you switch?
2: I got in, I was getting injured a lot in football and it was getting, and we were coming up to the 2010 Olympics and I got a call from Bob Slay. It was February, 2009. And so I had played in Hamilton for four seasons, um, got injured a few times, wasn't having the career that I wanted to. And I started to explore free agency uh, and I ended up signing with the Edmonton Eskimos. I don't know if I'd call them that anymore. The Edmonton football club um and it was during that time that i got a letter saying hey come out uh give it a shot we have you know we want to bring some athletes out to see if they can transition into the bobsleigh sport and it was about a year out from the 2010 olympics and i was actually you know standing with my dad when i got the call he's like why wouldn't you go out to calgary why would you not take the opportunity to go try something completely different don't think about football you've been thinking about football for the past 20 years go train with some olympic athletes uh and and go experience something different so i went out there uh fell in love very very quickly uh with the sport and the idea of potentially representing canada at the games and uh developed a plan with bobsleigh that was going to allow me to go play football with the eskimos and then uh transition at the end of the season right into the world cup season so i'd be going over to europe to race Injured my shoulder in the very first game of the Eskimo season, had surgery a week later and then was rehabbing and it essentially got me to the point where I could then join the team a little bit earlier and uh, start racing a little bit earlier. So, um, and was fortunate enough to uh, uh, get selected to the 2010 Olympic team in, 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 a, pretty, in, a, in a pretty wild ride for sure.
1: So, like, the skills that you developed in football, like, were they easy to transition into the bobsleigh?
2: Yeah, Lauren, that's actually, it's, so what's unique about bobsleigh in Canada and kind of the States than the rest of the world is that nobody grows up in Canada wanting to be a bobsledder. You kind of get the opportunity later on in life and they look for, you know, bigger athletes that can move pretty quick. Uh, And I was a bigger athlete that could move pretty quick. And uh, it was later on in my career. So, uh, you know, the the joke I say is like, I was training for bobsleigh my whole life without actually ever knowing it. So a lot of that stuff transferred over pretty well. Um, It's a steep learning curve from like the technical aspect of it, but uh, you you put the time in and you figure it out.
1: Yeah. So what did your teammates think of the transition? Like, were they like, why are you going to go be a bobslayer now?
2: Um, I think, it, you know, a lot of, I got, I, I had a ton of support, so it was, it was pretty cool. And the fact then that, then after that, those Olympics, I signed with Calgary for one more year and finished my, my CFL career in this, in, in Calgary. Um, it was exciting because I actually got to share the experience with a lot of the teammates and actually convince a com- couple other ones to come out and try it. And a few have, and a few have stuck with it. So, you know, I'm pretty, pretty happy about it.
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah.
1: Are there any other Olympic sports that you have your eye on or how
2: have- no. <laughs> to compete?
1: Yeah, like maybe a figure skater? No, I'm just kidding.
2: I'd love to do figure skating. I think I'm I'd be a I'd be a shoe-in for that the, the Battle of the Blades show. They need to get some other people, other
3: athletes other than hockey players out.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. Now, Jesse, I've had the opportunity to ride the down in a bobsled with, uh, another former Olympian Christina Smith, uh, here in Calgary at, uh, at COP at the track. Um, and I know we went really, really fast. Um, can you tell our, our listeners like how fast do you guys go in these things?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it depends on the track and, and probably since you did it, they've actually, well, the track is shut now, unfortunately, but they had to lower the, um, the guest ride start position. So instead of taking them from the top, they took him from corner three because the amount of pressure that you feel in a couple of the corners uh, could could cause them damage um, if you're not prepared for it. But from a speed point, Whistler is the tra- fastest track in the world, and the fastest that I've ever gone on a bobsleigh there's 161 kilometers an hour.
3: So is oh my god! <laughs> you're moving fast.
2: Yeah, and just sliding. And you're just sliding. It's which is crazy, but it, uh, yeah, it's definitely a rush.
3: Do you ever get scared doing it?
2: No, uh, I think definitely the first couple of times I was a little nerve. It was nerve wracking, and then my first crash. It was a weird experience because I think you could probably attest to this, uh, Dave. Is that you don't when I get people to go take a run and then try to describe it. They're like, well, it's kind of like a roller coaster, but it's not. It's kind of like this but it's not there's nothing really to exactly compare it to and then when you dump it and crash it's kind of like the best thing i can do is describe it like being put in a dryer putting it on spin and then pushing that dryer down a hill so it's 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 a bit nuts because it's loud your head's grinding on the ice at 100 plus kilometers an hour um yeah but you know you figure it out and you, you walk away unscathed and you go do it again just like any other
3: sane regular person would do right It sounds like fun. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jesse, the Vancouver uh, Olympics were in 2010 and these were your first Olympics. Um, Tell our listeners what it's like to be a part of the Olympic games, like how cool to have it, you know, be on team Canada and be in your home country and representing your country. Um, What's that like? It's insane
2: it's utterly insane. Like the entire country, um, felt like it felt like the entire country was in Vancouver for two weeks. And, and I came into the sport really like t- a year before the game started. So all these other athletes have been building up to this for four years. And, uh, that's the only thing i wish I had been around for longer to, uh, see more of the buildup, but, um, Walking into the opening ceremonies is probably when people ask, like, what's the greatest thing that you did in your athletic career? Um, It wasn't even really competition. It was just marching with that team in Vancouver 2010. It was just so powerful uh, and and exhilarating. And just to feel the energy within that stadium and within that city, like you could be blocks away. And uh, if a Canadian hockey game was going on, you could hear the the cheers coming from it. Like it was absolutely wild. Um, And then to be able to compete at that stage was something very, very special and to have, was lucky to have my family and and friends there. I had a a buddy uh, who won't mind me dropping his name, Nick Burns, who actually quit his teaching job to go out and just to be a fan for two weeks and ended up like sleeping on couches and staying out there a month and getting into all sorts of different trouble. And I mean, that's, it was, yeah. And I think there's a lot more stories like that. And I think when you look back at it now for people who went and experienced it, they talk about it with a, a ton of, uh, a ton of pride and a, and a ton of good memories.
3: Like I, I've been fortunate enough. I went to uh, the Olympics in Salt Lake City and I was, uh, I got to experience the gold medal game there where team Canada won. And then back in 2010, I was in Vancouver and I was only supposed to be in Vancouver for a few days. I ended up staying for two full weeks and partying and and for those that have been to stampede here in Calgary, that's what the winter Olympics are, are, you know, very, very similar. It is such a party, such a good time. Um, you know, it's the whole country comes together and it's, you want to talk beer tents, you you know, there's, there's 10 beer tents like Cowboys. It's like Oktoberfest and it's just absolutely over the top. Now, um, Were you at one of the gold medal games? I I did get to experience the same thing the the women's gold medal game, the men's gold medal game. Um, Rumor was, uh, or rumor has it, that you were part of something there.
2: Yeah, it wasn't the ideal situation. Um, Four man bobsleigh, just to to sort of bring you up to speed, four man bobsleigh is one of the last events at the Olympics. So generally, bobsledders have to be very well-behaved throughout the games, and then we just blow off all of our steam right at the very end of it and burn the entire city to the ground. Uh, and bobsleigh ended. We ended up going to, I think it was Wild Bills in Whistler, and, and, and drank that place. I think it's Wild Bills. Buffalo Bills? One of those places. And drank that place dry and then ended up on the bus at 7am to go down to Vancouver for the closing ceremonies. Well, during that bus ride was when the gold medal game was happening. So this was 2010. And for those, this may sound crazy, but you can actually really stream a sporting event on your phone at this point. I mean, most people are still carrying around a Blackberry, uh, and, and the phones that Bell gave us, fortunately, I was able to catch clip snippets of it, but we got to the village and all sorts of security you have to go through to get into the village. And I essentially dropped all my shit and sprinted to the first area in the village that I could hear cheering. And this was like right at the end of the game. And I'm in there for five minutes. I run in, I don't even move from my place. I'm holding bags. And I'm staring at a giant screen and Sydney Crosby, Iggy drops to Siggy or Sydney, scores the goal. I go nuts. And it is quiet because I am in an American tent. And it was like, there was a couple like whoos here and there. There was a couple people, but I was surrounded by stars and stripes, and I just moonwalked my ass out of there and found my way to the nearest Canadian gathering and and, and started
0: having some fun. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to give us a rating and write a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. It helps us out a ton and allows us to keep producing great content. While you're at it, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Last Call Confessions and give us a follow for all the up-to-date info on
3: the podcast. Now, uh, we interviewed a good buddy of mine, uh, Mr. Johnny Canaveras. Uh, We refer to Johnny as as I have. He's episode seven of Last Call Confessions, but you know, for I met Johnny 15 years ago, and, and you know I've always referred to Johnny as the mayor of Vancouver. He is a social connector. Uh, you know, he loves to party and loves to put people together. And and you met Johnny in Vancouver at the Olympics at his
2: club. Yeah, it uh, which is yeah, it's so funny how it comes full circle now. Um, so after the closing ceremonies in Vancouver, my teammate and I, Justin uh you know we were hanging out in the village we had some beers we were hanging with people but then we were like let's go this is the last night this is all this is going on so let's go get into it and to be honest with you I couldn't even tell you I couldn't even remember the name of the club that we ended up at um a buddy of mine that I grew up with Jesse Palmer who played in the NFL as well also happened to be out that night who also happened to meet johnny can that night so we ended up at his club having a great time i can't remember if vince vaughn was there or he was supposed to be there um it's definitely not a sherry type story so vince vaughn and i didn't go on a you know a 24-hour uh uh, party train after that but uh it was like and, and johnny was just absolutely amazing and you're right he's like the connector of all peoples he's such a community guy he brings people together um but it was such a cool experience to be able to then like how we talked about with the CFL and the fans. You know, we were in our closing ceremonies gear cuz we couldn't go back and change. So it was just having drinks with everybody else wearing red and white and maple leaves and uh, you know, having a great time till the wee
3: hours of the morning. Now, is this the reason that you missed your flight home?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. I, uh, instead of going back to the village, uh, my teammate also had, he lived in Vancouver and his condo was downtown. So we just went back to his place, crashed on his couch, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, I got up from my flight and I just kind of woke up. Uh, I looked at my phone, I looked at my situation and I kind of just said, fuck it. I'm staying. <laughs> I'm not rushing around. Home was Calgary. So it's like, a." quick hop skip and a jump it's going to be a gong show at the the airport anyway and uh i just ended up staying at at, at crips's place and hanging out for a few more days and uh enjoyed the the rest of the well very quickly transitioned to a very big vancouver hangover for the entire city because the city went from streets packed to just nobody around but uh you know got it finally chance to sit down, take some breaths, reminisce on the season, reminisce on the year and, and, and go forward.
0: I feel like it wasn't just the city that had the Olympic hangover. It was the country because I know even being in Calgary after going for two weeks straight of going nuts and partying, like even though we weren't in Vancouver, it felt like we were in Vancouver and uh, the whole city basically <laughs> died out from two weeks of everyone drinking every night while they watched the games and celebrated. So yeah, it was a cool was experience great. though
2: very cool yeah it would have been amazing if calgary got 2030
0: i know um so keeping with the olympics your next olympics was the 2014 sochi olympic games yeah now obviously back here in canada we were getting article after article about those games uh and a lot of it had to do with you know athletes village not being complete crazy russian stories happening like we got articles about wolves that guys were opening their doors to go down to the game and there were wolves in the hotel room. Things like that. It was insane the stories that we were getting from from Sochi. So, can you fill us in on your experience at Sochi? Yeah.
2: No walls. Um, definitely some unique, you know, plumbing situations with how they and and, and structural situations with the 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 the, the dorms or residents or whatever you want to call them. I remember taking shower when I first got there and it was one of those stand-up showers that has like a, a pan in it and the drain wasn't working and all of a sudden the water is just like filling up and starting to spill over the side of it and then I'm like okay what do I do here this is like day one literally in Russia I'm gonna flood out our condo and I get out of the shower and all the water has just disappeared somewhere else and I have no idea where I to this day, I don't know, there wasn't a drain in the bathroom, there wasn't but it was spilling over the shower pan and uh, went somewhere else. And I still haven't figured it out. But uh, (laughs) it's, yeah, Russia was a very, very interesting place. And there was a whole bunch of there was a whole bunch of uh, concerns around security and threat from threats coming from the bordering country of Georgia. Um, a ski coach was doing some just skiing, like recreational skiing, and he went past a Russian sniper and a spotter in white suits on the ski hill looking into like the forest border of Georgia. Like this was, I mean, it was you could tell who were who were volunteers and who were military dressed as volunteers because you just had to look at their boots. And it was like, and obviously then the stature of the individual as well. Like you'd have a volunteer who is, you know, five, ten. 125 pounds soaking wet. And then beside him was a volunteer who was is six, five looked like Ivan Drago. It's like, Oh yeah, you're a f- military boots. On. I'm like, yeah, you're a volunteer just really here to support the cause. Hey eh, buddy. Like it was crazy. <laughs> uh, but th- they took their security very, very seriously. So, which is great. Um, we all felt very, very safe. We would literally get sealed into buses with a guard with an MP5 strapped to him, And, uh, and those who play Call of Duty know what that is. So it, uh, so that was never an issue. I was never really
0: concerned about that, but um, it was pretty wild for sure. So like going from obviously Vancouver being your last Olympic experience to now you're in a bus with, guarded with guns skiing. The people are skiing by snipers on the Hills. Like that's a, that's a crazy change now. Yeah. Uh, those games didn't quite go the way you wanted no. from what I remember talking to you about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh two man underperformed four man. We had a team change um, not to get too deep into the details, but our crew, which is the three guys that pushed the sled got moved on to another team because he was driving a really, really well. And it was our best chance. And it was the same guy I was speaking about, Justin. Uh, Justin Cripps he was a young and upcoming driver he was driving really well he placed the highest in the two-man and our crew of me Ben and Cody were the fastest pushing team so they stuck us with Justin to try to give Canada the best shot at a middle at a medal at uh, that games and um, Heat 1 we moved up from 10th to 5th and then on Heat 2 we were had a great start. We are having a great run and we crashed in, in the Olympics, which essentially ends your opportunity to, to, to win a medal. Uh, as soon as it happens, you just slow down by seconds. And this is a sport that you win and lose by hundreds of a second. So, um, that ended that opportunity, um, to really, to get that. And it's too bad because we saw the split after we had sort of gained our composure. And we, if we had crossed the finish line with that split, we would have been going into the second day of heats three and four in the silver metal position so it's one of those things that's like damn if you do damn if you don't justin was trying to take a line that was the fastest line possible but it also runs the highest risk it worked really well in heat one didn't work well in heat two but that's we have a saying in in, in bobsleigh it's cash or crash and that's the unique thing about bobsleigh you can get down the track safely but if you try to do it safely you do it slowly if you want to push the limits that's where you're going to win the races. So, uh, that ended the competition side of it. And I think everybody, you know, we ended up competing the next day with two spares. Two of my teammates were pretty banged up. One had a concussion, one had a dislocated shoulder. Um, so it was myself, Justin and two spares and we finished the race, which we were very proud of. Um, one of the silver linings of this is those two spares don't actually can't technically call themselves Olympians unless they compete in the Olympic games. And because of that, they can now be considered an Olympian for the rest of their lives. Um, And they work their asses off all season, you know, as a spare, you do a lot of the shitty work you're sliding when others aren't, you're not necessarily racing all the time. Um, So those guys uh, definitely earned it. Um, But now it's time. Like I mentioned at the end of it, closing ceremonies, now we blow off steam. Yeah. It's a, we needed to blow off some steam.
0: <laughs> so how did the uh, steam blowing off happen in, in Russia? Obviously a little bit different of an environment to go and tear it up. Were you still just kind of walking into random tents, looking a party and hoping for the best or how'd it go?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, yes and no. So, I mean, you're still part of a pretty big bubble that's you know, very much uh, part of the Olympic village, but um, I don't know, I think, I think it was maybe my mindset Opening ceremonies was very cool. Um, it was very Russian, ballet, very cultural, and it was very unique. And I don't think I was in the mindset to want to sit through a very another uh, style of closing ceremonies for three hours like that. So I essentially started gathering people who had the same mindset as me, which was like, let's just go drink beer at the Canada House. So we marched, and the way it works is you march in your... You know with your team and then you kind of go up to these sections and they divide you off and i was just like which way is the exit and about 15 of us just kept walking right out of the stadium walked about kilometer and a half to the canada house and watched it on tv a little bit and just started enjoying the free beers that the coc provided uh, the canada house for the next several hours until we politely got asked to leave that place
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I, I understand that you also bumped into a former playing buddy, Andy Fantuz. Yes. And there's there's something interesting about this story. So do you want to fill us in on that? Yeah, so
2: Tuz was, like, in in fine form. And not only was he in fine form with a buddy, he had, like, him and his buddy had gone and done the full Russian experience for the full two weeks and taken in the full Olympics. And I hadn't seen many people from Canada that made the trip over. But somehow this fucking guy got an officer's, uniform, a Russian officer's uniform and was wearing it around the Olympic village, like a military officer's uniform. And I don't know how he got away with it or, but it was just, yeah, I mean, it was so good to see him. And then, you know, he definitely was a part of a part of what was going on for the next, uh, the next few hours with his buddy. but to uh, give it to, give it up to twos for being able to pull that one off in Russia.
0: And now what happened with this Audi party?
2: Yeah. Uh so a lot of when you look at like the overall Olympic bubble, um, every very similar to Grey Cup, where each team has their own sort of pavilion and, and party. Uh each country has their own pavilion and party, and so do the sponsors. And Audi, it was actually the this um the freestyle ski team that told us that they stumbled upon the Audi party, which was not really a party it was a bunch of Audis in this random building on site that were serving up these fancy cocktails and that had a sick DJ, but it was very corporate, but they were able to turn it into just a a dance party and word spread. And the Audi corporate tent ended up being this rager of a party where all of these athletes and these corporate Russians were congregating. Um, and having a great time. I mean, i walked in, and I remember drinking like fancy cocktails with like spruce trees sticking out of them and all that sort of jazz. But, um, I don't, I remember, I remember the music was, the DJ was really good. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, some guy was standing on a table with a friggin' saxophone and playing along with him. So you had the saxophone and the DJ going, and then every once in a while, a brownout would happen and the entire building would just lose power. And so it would just be dark and for a few minutes and they'd obviously go switch on a generator all the lights would come back on the dj would come back on they wouldn't skip a beat and that's just kind of how it went for the next you know few hours people spilling in and out but these brown were classic because it was just how saxophone would keep playing he doesn't need the you know electricity to run his system so he'd keep jamming we keep figuring
0: out in the dark getting drinks and having a good time so After all this partying and blowing off all this steam, um, how did you guys get back to Athletes Village? Was there, like, did you take buses? What happened? Yeah, I don't
2: really know how. I know we got there eventually. And the language barrier is definitely tough in Russia. But um, we were able to, we weren't on any sort of a, we were on like these city buses that were empty. And we just kept kind of getting told, hey, get off here and get on the next one wait for the next one, look for number two, look for number two. And at one point we got off and we were nowhere that we should have been. And we were met with volunteers uh, that essentially very much showed us that they weren't volunteers with their MP5s and weapons and speaking in Russian, asking how we got here and why we got here and what we're doing here. And we're holding our accreditation being like uh, Rosa Couture Athlete Village, Rosa Couture Athlete Village. And, Eventually another shuttle came along and was able to pick us up and they radioed to somebody, but um, I don't know where I was. I don't know who they were. We got out of there unscathed. Thank God. But uh, that was, at, that was probably at four o'clock in the morning when that happened. And I was, and we were probably, there was about four of us. We were probably on four or five different buses that night trying to get back to the village. Just no clue. No clue what was going on.
0: So your Sochi Olympic experience started with water that was, Pouring out of your drain, disappearing to you know, have no Somewhere. anywhere, and and ends with you having guns drawn on you at four a.m. Lost. Yeah, thankfully, like I wouldn't say drawn, like hands on,
2: hands on, finger on, nothing pointed directly at us. Thankfully, but enough of they thought we were enough of a concern that they needed to arm up, and we thought we were in a position where we might not we don't know what we're going to do to get out of this one. So yeah. Wow.
0: Well, what a, what a year.
2: (laughs) It was a a year for sure. That's for sure. Made my flight home. Thank God. (laughs) Wasn't going to miss that one.
1: No, you want, you didn't want to stay in Russia?
2: Not after that, not after the night that I had had, I don't think I would want to kick around for too much longer. I don't think they wanted me to kick around for too much longer, to be honest with you
1: that's totally fair
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so after those olympics that were in 2014 you participated in a series of events from like parades to summits um i hear there are some stories from these like the calgary parade
3: yeah
2: i kind of forgot about that one um <laughs> so the, the codc does a really really good job can olympic community does a really good job of preparing the athletes with a summit prior to going to the games that essentially talks about all the things that are coming up, you know, what you need to be concerned about, giving you materials, like how to translate certain things and just packages to make you feel very comfortable going in and then coming after they throw a pretty good par- par- parade and celebration. And, uh, and then this specific year, they piloted a project called the post Olympic Se- uh, excellence, the post Olympic excellence series which was going to be the parade, the party, the, they always do um, a hall of fame induction sort of gala, which was at um, the saddle dome. And then they were shipping us off to Mont Tremblant for this series of, uh, you know, four days of essentially like, let's start getting you ready to get, you know, for life after being an athlete. So we thought it was, you know, a great idea. And we had a ton of fun in the, in the parade and, um, you know, we ended up actually at the bowling alley of national uh right after that took that into a celebration into the hall hall of fame event and then ended up at a concert somewhere uh bowling was interesting uh we had a few teammates on the team canada that liked to check their pants instead of their jacket oh. uh, yeah so that was kind of a unique experience that uh, caught on and they would take their pants off and they would check it they would check it they'd get their ticket and um, you know, uh, the, they were okay. I mean, we were the only ones in in the bowling alley, so they were okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. but then they weren't necessarily okay with some of those people, like pushing each other down the laneways, trying to knock the pins over. Um,
1: that was
2: the line. I guess that crossed the line pantsless pushing pantless, fine, pantless fine. Uh, they all collected their pants at the end of the night, but that became a bit of a theme, uh, for the team as, as the, the Olympic excellence series <laughs> went on. Um, so then we go to Tremblant, and we kind of sit through the day one of our, you know, introduction into great speakers and entrepreneurs and um, you know, coaches coming in to sort of talk to us about like all the things that we can do to prepare ourselves. And, uh, and then soon as those concluded, we found out that one of the skiers brother owned the only Pub that was open in Montreal Block because it was it would have been in May, so it was the off season. Nobody was skiing, uh, and that ended up really becoming our main hub for where we were going to congregate for the next you know few days. And the productivity definitely fell off for the next couple days of um, speakers and seminars, but the fun factor went up a lot significantly, and. The, no, the pants, checking the pants still was strong in mont you know, was able to check. Yep. So the fellas were able to continue the tradition there. And uh, the fountain outside of the hotel became a communal swim, swimming pool at you know two o'clock in the morning. And somebody threw a bucket of ice in my bed one night, which was always good because who doesn't like sleeping on ice cold wet sheets? Uh, so, yeah, it ended up being... Um, not, I think it was the first and last time that they ran that summit, but uh, we certainly made it count, so that was good.
3: Now, Jesse, you may not know this. Uh, not only do the Olympians like to take their pants off, but uh, our host here, Mr. Austin Rieger, loves to take his pants off. He's uh, also started a trend here in uh, in Calgary and at numerous bars, so he quite, sure. he quite enjoys doing it, yes. Oh, boy.
0: It's been, been years of co-checking my pants, and then when they stopped allowing me to co-check my pants, uh, we just started declaring pants-off shooters. So anytime someone yelled pants-off shooters, everyone in the bar had to put their pants around their ankles and take a shot. There song.
2: you go. That's that, I mean, that's how you get buy-in right there. That's awesome. Cool.
0: <laughs> we just want to take a minute to acknowledge all of our listeners from around the world. Currently, we have people listening from Canada, United States, Costa Rica, Australia, United Kingdom, Mexico, Belgium, Greece, Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, and the United Arab Emirates. From all of us at Last Call Confessions,
3: thank you for making us part of your day. Now, Jesse, not, not only one not two, but three times you've been to the Olympics. What, uh, what an amazing feat. There's not too many people out there that can say that. Your most recent Olympics were in 2018 in Korea at uh, Beijing. Tell us a little bit about those games for you.
2: Korea is a very, very cool country. South Korea is super cool. Uh, people are very, very friendly. Um, again, I mean, from a performance standpoint, Uh, My pilot and one of our teammates won the two-man, which was amazing. Um, We did really well. We had some equipment issues in the four-man, but uh, we were gunning for a medal and came up a bit short. But um, it was it was it was pretty. It was very different games than Vancouver in in 2014 because I also had my my daughter was nine months old and she was there, so that was a very special uh, you know moment for me aside from uh, just representing Canada. But uh, my parents made the trip out to Korea as well with my sister and her husband. So I was able to experience some of that, which was going to be my last games in a bit of a more of a, a unique family atmosphere. One of the things I was actually always envious of, uh, and my dad played professional football in the CFL for 10 years and won a bunch of great cups. Um, so I was like one of those little kids running around the locker room and I was always envious of my teammates that had kids who were wearing their dad's jerseys. And so it was cool to have my, my daughter there wearing team Canada gear and a little ones that she'll never remember it, but we got some good pictures. She was on CBC a few times. Um, so there was a lot of cool things from that standpoint, uh, but definitely very, very different than, than the previous games.
3: Maybe, uh, maybe your daughter will be a future Olympian. Hopefully summer. Now, tell us about uh, a partying at Canada House at the Korean uh, Olympics there. Rumor has it you got to hang out with uh, local Canadian artist, artist, the Arkells.
2: Yeah. Um, so I had met Arkells, Max and Nick, uh, the singer and the, and the bass player. And I think maybe Mike, the guitar player as well. We were all at Mac together at the same time. Uh didn't really run in the same circles when we were at McMaster, but started to get to know the guys when I was playing with the Thai cats and, uh, you know, getting to know them through just parties and stuff like that, but also a huge fan of the band itself. I was, you know, um, fan, fangirl over them constantly when new albums come out. So uh, and see them in, in concert a lot. So then when I heard that they were coming out to play in Korea, I thought that was just a super cool thing for the coc to collaborate with them to do because they were doing sessions all over you know the seat CO- at the canada olympic house and all that jazz and at the i get there after the closing ceremonies and i see max and the guys and you know we big hugs and a bunch of laughs and a couple of beers and they're gonna play a show and they're like hey do you want to introduce us i was like yeah fucking right i do absolutely that's super cool and uh so was able to get on stage there was a bunch of people there was a very cool setup, almost like a mini amphitheater inside the building and announce them and uh sit back and watch the show and then max uh calls me up to stage to uh play a song with him and i'm not necessarily a musician you know he asked me he's like do you, do you know a couple chords i was like yes he's like do you know d chord he's like yes I was like okay you're gonna come up and you're just gonna play a d chord this whole song i was like okay so i ended up playing a song with the Arcals uh private school and uh yeah it was my it was my one-time
3: experience as as, as
2: a as a as a real rock and roller
3: <laughs> oh man you're a talented guy maybe there's a future there for you rock and roll
2: there's not a ta- there's
3: not a future for
2: me there and I'm definitely not a talented guy because I could I could teach everybody in this room to play at least a D chord by the end of this <laughs> podcast if we really got
3: <laughs> I might take you up on that sounds good if anything it'll get you playing private school so there you go (laughs) perfect so jesse
0: now what are you up to these days and uh what's kind of next on the horizon for you obviously uh you said this was your last olympics in 2018 so what's what's next
2: yeah i uh i joined a, a tech startup in calgary uh about a year and a half ago um and so Working with those guys, we're building a digital bank in Canada, which is uh, very, very exciting. And we're working with a very, very talented team on, um, you know, trying to create a better banking experience for Canadians by leveraging some pretty cool technology. So, uh, I work on the the partnerships time, the, the partnerships time, the partnership side of the business. So it's collaborating, uh, working with a team, and collaborating with business owners all over Canada to see how we can uh, create value and, and create a relationship that allows them to leverage the technology that we've built out to support their businesses. And, uh, the cool thing is it's from local all the way up to sort of national brands like Hudson's Bay, who we've been a partnership with, which we're pretty excited about. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, and then, and then I, I've had a second one since then. So, uh, you know, uh, two little ones running around with uh, my wife and I, and we're, uh, looking forward to getting them more outdoors now that winter's ending with all the COVID stuff going on. Fair, completely (laughs) fair. (laughs) So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of where it's at now. Um, Do some broadcasting for college football and uh, some of the amateur sport when I can, uh, which is great because I can stay close to sport. Um, uh, And then really
3: just looking forward to seeing what you guys wrangle up for this July. (laughs) <laughs> our fingers are crossed my friend we'll see what happens jesse thanks so much for doing this with us today we really appreciate your time um you know for all of our listeners out there why don't you tell them uh, where they can find you on social media and we'll wrap it up from here
2: yeah sure um i'm not spending a time ton- like my instagram is probably my most active and that's jesse.lumsden uh hit me up if you want to chat about stuff I guess is that what you do on Instagram I just post pictures of hunting and sports stuff generally so (laughs) that's not the most dad answer you've heard then I don't know what it is
3: (laughs) there you have it now we know where to find you
2: yeah I appreciate you guys having me this is fun and, and, and I really enjoy what you guys uh what you guys have built out through COVID
0: listening to this episode of last call confessions it would mean the world to us if you could make sure to give us a rating and write a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform as well as give our instagram page at last call confessions follow if you're interested in becoming a guest on the podcast make sure to send us a dm from all of us to you wherever you're listening thank you for making last call confessions part of your day